I'm back. How you doing, folks? Just finishing off a tweet. This is how we do the Hoopsville Show. Yep. Hi. How you doing? Yeah, I was finishing off a tweet to getting you guys all knowing what's coming up on the show. Uh, if you got questions for us, we're getting to the fun part. We're getting some really fascinating conversations coming up here now on this marathon. So tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville, where we're live simulcasting the show. I say fascinating because right now we're going to talk to Christy Thomas-Cuddy. Then next we're going to talk to a former Division Three player and coach who's got a great um, motivation uh, and and cause coming up in a week and a half. And then after that, we're going to talk to a former somewhat Division three athlete who had a pretty good professional athlete about the craziness of his life, but why he's an advocate for Division three. So Christy Thomas-Cuddy coming up now. Then we're going to talk to um, Pat uh, Scary at um, Towson. And then we're going to talk to Ken Anderson, former Bengals quarterback, about his Augustana Roots. That's all coming up. And then we open it up to the happy hour. That's how we're finishing off this crazy hoopsville. As we said, um, up next, we have Christy Thomas Cuddy. You might remember her as the former head coach for Emory women's basketball. And shortly before the season started, had decided to step down for personal reasons. Door, another door may have opened up for her. Joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline, it is Christy Thomas Cuddy. And coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us tonight. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to kick off the has-been hour, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I don't know about the has-been hour. You're you're kicking off the real fun part because I'm going to get less coach speak from the next three people. Well, oh, great. that's not true. Pat Scary's going to drop some coach speak on us. Uh, he's in D1. It's on like a whole other level of coach speak there. Um, so, and listen, I, I just I don't want to dwell on it, but I think you are missed. Your team is doing well, coach doing well. That's not what I mean. You're missed in Division Three to some degree. You decided to to step down for for personal health reasons. I know that wasn't an easy decision, uh, Christy, but but it's one that you you hope others can learn from. Is is that a fair way of saying? Without a doubt. Uh, you know, at this time a year ago, there's no way that I would have envisioned, you know, a year out what my life would be like. Yeah. Um, I think as you and I spoke about, uh, found out after the season just by going in for a physical that I had. Uh, thyroid cancer mm. and battled that throughout the summer and had one round of radiation uh, in late fall and just kind of kept waiting for that energy to get back and just it wasn't there and I just thought it was only the fair thing to do which is step away um, and allow this team um, that I believe is so much about and believe in Misha and what she's doing to really be able to kind of pave their own way um, without me being a distraction. Um, one thing I always prided myself on was that I was going to demand maximum effort from my players, and I just knew I couldn't give that to them, and mm. I didn't think that was fair. That's a fascinating point of view to, to have on that. And, yeah, they're having a pretty good season for sure, and we and we don't want to uh, overshadow that to any degree. But you said you just went in for a physical, uh, which I would argue there are a lot of coaches I know who wouldn't do that. <clears throat> It only took me until maybe two years ago to start doing that on an annual basis myself. Uh, some of us have pride. Oh, I'm fine. To do <laughs> that, to go in, find out what you had, you know, that that's a major step and, and one that certainly more coaches should do. Well, I mean, the crazy thing is I was like most coaches. I never went to the doctor unless I, something was wrong. And my primary care physician happened to be our team doctor who just finally had had it with me uh, <laughs> about three years ago and said, you have to start coming in for a physical and I really, I mean, I went and saw him before I left town, and that, that was probably the one time I truly got overwhelmingly emotional 
because I owe this man my life because, mm. you know, the big thing about thyroid cat cancer is it's the greatest undiagnosed form of cancer, and it metastasizes into another form mm. later on. And so, you know, if I was tired, I just attributed it to being the end of the season uh, and nothing else. And sure, sure enough, I had no other symptoms. There's no way I would have ever thought anything was going on with me. I, I you know, I exercise, I eat roughly healthy, everything. And so just that that's been my one message to coaches as I go around in my new in my new gig uh, and talk to young people. It's just, hey, one time a year, just go in and get yourself checked. Mm. Take care of yourself as much as you preach to your athletes to take care of their bodies and themselves. Uh, not to dwell on, on your treatment or anything, I just had a colleague of mine, or a former colleague of mine, I should say, from another professional life who had thyroid cancer, I believe, and, and you know, unfortunately really kind of shook her up. But the same thing. Finally, she had an answer to things. Uh, she now has a mark on her neck. She jokingly says, don't worry, I didn't have somebody show up at my uh, door with a large blade or anything. Um, but she's on the mend. And, and again, it was one of those things that it was hard to detect, but finally detected. I remember when you and I talked shortly after you made the decision, and I was honored that you would even call me after I simply just said, you know, uh, our best to you was that this was so not routine, but um, run of the mill. Like mm-hmm. you weren't walking in expecting to have anything. You were just walking in to get your darn physical. You weren't thinking anything was wrong except that, yeah, the end of the season's tired. And if you hadn't done that, who knows where you would be right now? Uh, except we probably would know you'd be on the Emory basketball court. That's yeah. it. We don't know what your health would have been like. We don't know what. Uh, if you had been even more tired, you don't know what, how long and where this would have gone in the meantime. Without a doubt. I mean, that's why, you know, like as people would call me or, you know, reach out with sympathy and whatnot, and I said, hey, don't feel bad for me. I am blessed, and I truly know that how lucky I am that we caught it, it was diagnosed, and then I was at Emory and had, you know, what I believe <laughs> are the best doctors in the world treat me and take care of me. Yeah, you happen to be in in one of those areas, uh, as I am in the Baltimore area, as others in other cities can attest. You're in one of those better medical locations uh, associated with a hospital through the university that is pretty darn good. Uh, talk about the perfect storm, as it were. Um, I know the other part of this that was tough was you had just been named the WBCA vice president for the board, something that yeah. no Division three or I believe anybody outside of Division one had ever had an opportunity thus in line to become president which no one outside of Division One in, in the WBCA history had had that opportunity. That was hard for you because you had earned that. From everybody who talks to me outside of you, in other words, those who talk about you, you had truly earned that opportunity. Well, you know, earned or I'm not sure exactly how to go about it except that. I mean, I believe in our coaches. I believe in what we do in this profession. And I believe in Daniel Donahue. I believe in Jen Rosati. Trish McCulloch, I believe in the board and that changes were being made to help our game, not the Division One game, but the game of basketball and that we were all valued. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the greatest thing. You know, as much as it, it – you're absolutely right. It was so hard for me to step away from the WBCA because I felt like I was letting down the non-Division One coaches that here I was given this opportunity to help lead our organization – and unfortunately, you know, do you have to be an active coach? Yeah. Uh, I am now a retired coach, yes. <laughs> and so <laughs> I had to give up that role. But without a doubt, I believe in Mary Beth and Pat and Polly and what they're going to continue to do. And you know, I just think the the WBC as a whole now it really makes it hard for you not to get involved. 
you really just have to say you're not going to be if you want to have an impact on our game because they're looking for coaches to be active sure. within our profession. Well, the reason I say you earned it is if you go, you I encourage you to go back and listen to Danielle's interview. I, I know you probably haven't had the opportunity, and I've been on 12 hours. I've listened to every part of it, but I don't <laughs> expect anybody else to have, uh, including my colleagues. But Danielle speaks of it. I've heard Polly Thomason speak of it. I've heard others speak of it off air with me about the work you put in for those non-Division one coaches and and the, the work you put in to, to encourage them and to help them and, and to make um, their lives better as coaches. And that work resulted in the rest of the WBCA going, you know what, it's okay to have a non-D1 as a high-ranking board member and, a vis- and eventually uh, a president, which would, your, your path would have taken you, because they are putting in the same amount of work. They are doing just as good a work as we are. And more importantly, they're doing right by all of us as fellow colleagues. That's what they all speak of for what you did and that you have opened a door now for everybody outside of D1 to understand there is a place for them on the board. There's a place for them in man in the presidential hierarchy as well. And the D1s, it's okay to have a D2 and D3 this involved as well. Yeah, I mean... I- I, I, I was blessed that I was given the opportunity to serve, to do so many things, whether it was the hiring process of Danielle's position, a lot of different committees. But I'll be honest with you, even when I was doing it, I remember the previous executive coming into one of our D3 meetings and saying, you know, it has to be a D1 to be in the presidential right. track. So it was never anything that entered my mind. My mentor was president of WBCA, I think, three times. And so it was just how, as a young yep. coach, I was taught it is about this game. It is bigger than our program. It is bigger than you, and you do what you, whatever you need to do right. to protect it and help grow it. And so it was a byproduct, but beyond, I mean, uh, beyond humbled when I got the call asking me to serve in that capacity, I mean, to know that there were commissioners and other Division One coaches who respected what I did, I, you know, I just said in a lot of ways I'm at an advantage over Division One coaches because it's not about – my league, my position on recruiting, because it was a much more global perspective. Well, yeah. I mean, and and you come from it from a different point of view than the D1s. You don't have this. Some of the stuff that they probably complain about, you kind of go, come on, listen, uh, let me (laughs) me introduce you to some things over here. um, But it's always, you know, there's a vibe, you know, when you pass this legislation, this is how it affects Division 2, Division 3. And so, you know, I, I... that's where I thought it was. It's great that we have that D3 voice, whether it's a recruiting subcommittee, playing rules subcommittees. That's what I love about how the board is structured now is that there's a voice per level in almost every major committee, and that's how we're being heard. That's how it's not going to be one-dimensional of it's a Division One game. The world of the WBCA in the last few years is night and day different than it was in the past, and there's people like yourself and Daniel Donahue that are to thank for that. And I'm not taking anything away from Pat Manning, who I know has put in a ton of work to do this, Mary Beth Spurk, who's done a ton of work. Uh, we got to talk about the Motley crew that represents Division Three, um, <laughs> because it was you, uh, Mary Beth Spurk, and, and Pat Manning. Now they got Polly Thomason involved. Uh, we all know Polly's, Polly's a character. Uh, this is, it's well represented, but oh my Lord, I can't imagine what board meetings are like. Um, so I just last thought on this before I move on, you may not get to reap the rewards of being a VP officially for more than a few months and ultimately president. And, and while it's weird to say this about a women's organization, but you've essentially broken a glass ceiling for anybody outside of division one to know 
you put the time in and put your colleagues first and make sure that you know you do the work that's that's that is helpful you too can help run this organization as well because you've done it the right way and and that's that's a testament to the to what you did not knowing you were doing it well thank you and yeah i mean if that's the byproduct then i'm beyond proud of that I believe in that organization wholeheartedly, and I just want to see it continue to thrive and grow, which I believe it will, especially yeah. under Danielle's leadership, oh. her staff, and Jen Rosati. I can't say enough about Jen. Yeah, I've been told we need to talk to Jen sometime. I'm trying to figure out why we didn't do it on this darn show, but at the same time, <laughs> figure out when we can sneak her in when she's not too busy herself. Hey, let's move forward. Uh, so the door closed at Emory, and the door closed at the WBCA, but trust me, um, my jaw hit the floor while talking to, to Danielle when she goes, do you realize what Christie's up to? I had not. And now I need to pay a little more attention. I've now caught a little bit of snips and, 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 and little bits of it here and there when I've gone to catch some video, how in the world did the door open? And now we see you on ESPN broadcast, maybe mainly ESPN three, but I know you've dabbled on some ESPN deuce broadcasts. How did this happen? And how are, how, are you enjoying it? Uh, you know, I got to tell you, this has probably saved my sanity because it didn't take me – because I'm still involved with the game. I'm sure. still, you know, sure. the day before game, shoot around. I'm still one-on-one with coaches, and yeah. I, that's something that I'm really enjoying and loving doing. Um, the, the coordinating producer of women's basketball for ESPN, I've known through the WBCA for a couple of years. And Who is that? She always said if I ever got out, she wanted me to audition. Oh. And that's what I did. And I think, honestly, there was such a void of coaches. There's been a lot of former yeah. players that are doing analyst work for them, but sure. not a lot of coaches. And um, there was a void there for me. And I've been doing a lot of the American uh League, the American Conference games. Yep. I'll switch over and start doing some SEC games oh, cool. uh, this month. Um, UGA has given me the opportunity to do a lot of their digital games, um, just so I could get more reps. Sure. But I've had a blast doing it. But I, you know, as I, I told, I got to do one of my uh, Tulane University's games. I told my coach, I said, I feel like I'm a freshman in high school <laughs> that doesn't even understand the difference between offense and defense at times. Um, it's just, you know, it's been another language that I've had to learn. But, you know, the common the commonality is just it's basketball. And, yeah. you know, after I got I had some feedback after my first game and like, you know, this was great insight. Yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, I wasn't even aware because I'm just thinking like I'm just speaking like I would as a coach. Yeah. Well, welcome to our side, coach. Uh, I, I You make it look so easy, though. Well, trust me. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, I enjoy the broadcasting too. I've stepped behind from behind the the camera, as it were, as a, as a long time television and sports producer, and done on front. I don't know how good or or not good. I do have people around me who say I'm good, great, but you know who knows. But I enjoy it, and and I'm glad to hear that someone else is enjoying it because it can sometimes be some of the best ways to watch games because you're right there involved and you're getting to see how it all works out. I hear you getting great coaching, um, and and in in some weird way. It's a wonderful door that's opened up for you. Without a doubt. You know, it allows me to stay involved with the game. Um, it's the flip side of it. The blessing side of it is without the stress of coaching. Yeah, true. So it's allowed me to heal. Um, you can relax during a, the week, right? 
it's a lot easier to work from home, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I had I had breakfast with one of my former assistants the other day. And she goes, you know, you got to enjoy not watching film. And I'm like, I'm um, probably watching as much film as yeah. I did as a coach because it's now prepping for two teams. Right. Um, but the but difference is a- you're not sitting there trying to scout and trying to figure out how you're going to beat them. You're just watching to see what they do to understand what they're going to do. It's a little bit less stressful in, in the sense of watching those games. Without a doubt. You know, the night before, still a little nervous, still a little uneasy, but I sleep well the night after a game. Yeah, that's <laughs> unlike, true. Unlike when you're a coach. Yeah, you get to walk off the court with a smile on your face and a big load off your shoulders, whereas when you coached, you walked off the court, court, uh, the court probably with a little bit more load on your shoulder, depending on the outcome of that game. Without a doubt. Now, no Without pressure. We're, we're expecting you now to help uh, foray uh, Division Three to ESPN. No pressure at all. <laughs> Um, I, I don't expect the world, but just maybe a game or two a year would be fine. I'll keep pushing that. I, I trust <laughs> me. I was pushing it before I got out of coaching. I'll, oh, I'm sure. I don't have that much influence yet, but I'll I, keep pushing. I hate to ask this. Well, I assume your health is doing well, that you're getting your energy back. You talk about still resting. I know anything regarding the thyroid, it is not a speedy recovery and the body has a mind of its own. But mm-hmm. as much as this door is open, I got to ask, ever thought of, is the thought of coming back to the court, maybe it's a little too soon to ask, is back to the bench even entered your mind? Do you think it'll ever happen? Or do you enjoying this now that maybe this is your career? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm truly enjoying this. I learned yeah. a long time ago, you never say never sure. you know, to anything. And so, you know, I'm kind of treating this just like I would when I was in coaching. You know, you never make any major decisions during the middle of the season, uh, you know. So if someone asks me right now, I'm going to say I'm an analyst for ESPN. Um, You know, in another couple of months, who knows? I just figured you left when I first got the news because Nancy Faye left. You're like, forget it. I I don't feel like being in the conference anymore. I'm going to take off. Uh, You know, I I will say it's one of those things. That's probably one of the dynamics. I I really miss our coaches in the UAA and that interaction. They've been great. I talk to them at least once a week, um, a lot of them. But that that camaraderie, I, I do truly miss. I don't think Jim Scheibel misses you. I got a text from Jim right before I came on, mind you. So <laughs> I, I will say that. I'll defend oh, my guy. that sneaky little guy. Jeez, Jim. Yes. Hey, um, I would love to see you someday covering an Illinois game because I just want to see the look on Nancy's <laughs> face when you walk up. That's all I want to see. I just want to capture Nancy looking at you walking up, even though if she knows you're coming, it's going to, it's going to put Nancy in a different spot and both of you in two different places. That'd be fun to watch. I would just love to sit there and watch Nancy teach. Oh, I mean, for yeah. years, that's been one of my, you know, yeah, she I, wouldn't I, let you, right? <laughs> that's what we were all like. Why can't we, we all actually said that when she first took the job, like, let's just go all sit there and watch one of her practice. There's a good idea. Yeah. I remember having her on the preseason. She said the toughest part for her was realizing she now coaches two teams She's got her team, her student athletes, and all that, and then she's got her administrative and coaching staff on the other side. She's like coaching two teams, much tougher. <laughs> She'll get it done there. I have oh, no doubt. Oh yeah, I I agree with you, and she's already showing signs. Um, Christy, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate uh, the fact that you're open about what happened and willing to discuss it on the show. Um, and letting us kind of wax poetic as well. As always, you probably remember, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Well, I'll just say, you know, we've turned the calendar now to February, which may means it's the play for K time. And so I just yeah. challenge all coaches, fans, players, uh, if they can, to give to this very worthy organization that's doing so much. And it's not just breast cancer anymore. It's all mm-hmm. forms of women's cancers. Um, and so that's something that obviously now is very near and dear to my heart. So uh, I just want to put that plug in. Yeah, we had. We, ca- go ahead. 
I was just I just want to put that plug in for the KL fund. Yeah, we had Wheaton's coach on earlier about their efforts this Saturday for sarcoma. Uh, bone cancer uh, awareness, uh, part of the K- play for K. And, of course, we know Mary Beth Beth's Burke with her huge efforts um, at Moravian. Believe it or not, one of the, the highest uh, or the biggest um, donations come from Moravian of any division women's program, yes. which is Every year. amazing. And it, and it obviously takes on a whole new meaning for you now. I realize that. So I'm sure it's near and dear to your heart. Thank you for the time. Really appreciate it. Please don't be a stranger. Uh, you're welcome to reach out anytime. And, and good luck with this broadcasting stuff. I look forward to really diving in and watching a game. I'm not surprised you do it well. You're, you, you, you've are you been a wonderful guest for years on this show, and we hope we get to talk to you in the future as well. Anytime. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care. Christy Thomas-Cuddy joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline, the former Emory coach, now ESPN broadcaster. Congrats to her. Despite it all, it's, it's what they say. Sometimes the doors close. And another one opens, and in her case, it certainly did. Going to take another break. When we come back, we'll talk about the good causes. There's another good cause coming up about autism awareness. We'll talk to a former Division III coach and student athlete about that. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville uh, right after this. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Something I discovered in myself is that if I have a goal, then I can accomplish it. It's a well-rounded experience. At a Division three school, you primarily a student-athlete, so the school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. And welcome back to Hoopsville, folks, on this 
Marathon Show. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Uh, don't forget, coming up in about a half hour, we'll open up the door for the happy hour. In the meantime, got a couple more segments to go, including two conversations that were fascinating for me. The first one being with uh, men's basketball coach for Towson, Pat Scary. Now you're wondering, why am I going to a D1 school? Well, for starters, let's also remember that D Towson used to be a D3 school. We're going to hang on that for at least now. But more importantly, Pat Scary used to be a Division three student athlete and assistant coach and head coach. He was the assistant coach and student athlete at Tufts and a head coach at Curry. Now the head coach at Towson, he's got a, a project near and dear to his heart, Autism Awareness. They do an amazing job, and Division three schools are involved as much as everybody else is out there as well. It's coming up, and I got a chance earlier this week to talk to Pat in his office. I am joined here in Towson at a Division One facility. We'll get to that with the head coach of Towson's program, Pat Scary. Coach, thanks for taking the time. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. Uh, you and I ran into each other well, in the last year or so at an autism event and struck up a conversation. And then I recollected that you had all these Division Three backgrounds, but also what coaches do a lot of, and that's giving back to the community in some capacity. You know, I had to find a way to get you on the show, and I'm glad this worked out. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Uh, so first and foremost, let's talk about the D3 roots. You are a D3 guy. You went to a D3 school and, and played and, and then ended up coaching. And that's how you've gotten here. And that's not a, an all surprising route. But can you let everybody remember uh, how you kind of got to where we are now? That's a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. No, obviously I was uh, fortunate enough to play at Tufts for four years. Uh, probably thought I was a pretty good player. We always get better the older we get. Yeah. Um, played for Bob Sheldon, who was still, still yeah, a no. very successful coach at at Tufts and really enjoyed it there. And then when I finished playing, um, I ended up, a lot of guys was, I, I you know, I never, I never really wanted a real job. So I got, <laughs> I, I was fortunate enough, I stayed on Bob's staff the next mm -hmm. year. Um, uh, I tell all the time I made $300 my first year as wow. an assistant in Division Three. I uh, big money. Big money. I <laughs> substitute taught, uh, refereed high school soccer, basketball, uh, got my bartending license. Uh, mm. And then after that year, he, um, the other assistant was there and moved on, got his master's. So I became a full-time GA for the next couple of years. I got my, um, got my master's at, at Tufts and coached there. And we had some really good teams and, and some of the best uh, experiences I can remember in, in, in coaching. Um, a lot of guys that I played with and coached that are still friends with me and my both my younger brothers played at Tufts. And, and then after that, uh, you know, one year at Stonehill College in Division Two, and then I got uh, what I considered an, an unbelievable opportunity to become, uh, when I was 26 years old, mm -hmm. uh, head coach at Curry College up in Milton, Mass. I had a tremendous athletic director, Pam Samuelson, and yeah. and uh, President Ken Quigley, uh, forever gratefully took a, they took a chance on me, and we had a couple couple of uh, good years here trying to trying to grow the program before I uh, got the opportunity at Northeastern to jump into the yeah. old proverbial rat race, so to speak. <laughs> but I'm yeah, a, I am absolutely a Division Three. Guy at my roots, there. Uh, you know, still have a lot of friends up in the New England small colleges where there are some unbelievably successful mm -hmm. and excellent coaches that run big time programs. And been there a long time, as you mentioned, Bob. Um, when you were at Tufts, if I remember correctly, though, in the timing that means they were probably going the other direction on the court, and they had to flip it at one point to make it NCAA legal. I uh, we did. We actually we actually the first year NESCAC schools were not allowed in the NCAA tournament. Right. My I was I think the first time was my last year as an assistant oh, okay. there. And we actually had, we were like the number one seed, number one team in New England, and we 
got a home game, and then they met NCAA came, measured the court. We couldn't oh, no. host the home game. We had to go play it up at uh, Bentley College and <laughs> lost a tough one to Jim Todd, former NBA head coach, mm -hmm. great successful coach at Salem State and, and, and a good friend. So I hadn't seen the gym. Uh, two years ago, we went up to play Northeastern, and with a practice quirk, we got to go over to Tufts, oh, and cool. we practiced there, and, and it was it was a whole lot of fun being back. A little weird to see it 90 degrees from how you remember Yeah, but it looks great. They've <laughs> done does. an awesome job there. The, our, our new athletic director up there, and, and Coach Sheldon, to see everyone, it, it, it's, it's, it's great. it was great to go back up there. They, uh, they've hosted quite a few ga uh, tournament games since, so it's a good thing they, they've made the adjustment. And uh, Dave Hickson always reminds me, it's still an experimental rule that the uh, NESCAC's in the, in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> uh, we talk about some legendary successful coaches yeah. with Dave Hickson and, and Jamie Cosgrove and Joe Riley and with Jeff Brown's down at Middlebury, followed that league, and, and those guys are... Excellent, excellent coaches. Yeah, it certainly is competitive up there. You went into the D1 route. A lot of coaches end up doing that. You're now here at Towson. How's the tri how's the road has it been? How's it been for you? Yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's coaching's coaching. There's tremendous coaches at every level, high school and professional and Division one, two II or three. And and I always say, Tom, it's a you know you got to just find your niche. It's a little bit about opportunity and some good fortune. Um, I was except small colleges for six years, and then I was an assistant for I think like 13 years. We unfortunately moved my family a lot, and then um, got a big break by going to Pittsburgh working for Jamie Dixon, mm -hmm. and you know, we were one seed in the NCAA tournament, and then this opportunity came up, and we've really we've really enjoyed it here, and um, we're certainly not done yet, but we've made some strides, and I've got great administration, great people I work with, and just just fortunate to serve Towson. Of course, Towson, uh, one of the charter members of Division Three, ironically enough, and now that, you know in D one now. Uh, be remiss not to ask you about the team. Uh, I know it's probably not going exactly how you'd like it to go, but how's the how's the program? You know, fifteen and eight. You know, we've won the most games in our league over the last five years. Um, we, we've you know we've had a whole bunch of twenty one seasons. Um, we had a great start. We're in a little bit of a this middle stretch. We've been playing some five hundred, just uh, five and seven. So we're not happy about that. Um, but we're two games out of first with eight to go, so you get me right before a pivotal, yeah. pivotal week. <laughs> yeah, no, I know Delaware, I think, is coming up. At Delaware that. Thursday yeah. night, always a big game. Always a big game. So, uh, well, the reason we obviously wanted to talk to you was what you get into in the community in a sense, and you have a, a special uh, place in your heart for autism awareness and, and trying to raise not only awareness but funds as well. I know I've run into you on a few of those occasions. Give us a little bit of the background of why autism, and then we'll we'll go into all the things that you've gotten involved in with the color blue. Sure, I mean uh, my youngest son Owen is eight. He's on the autism spectrum. Um, you know we have unbelievable services here in the greater Baltimore area. Unbelievable services, a big piece of why we love being here so much. But we had uh, my second year here. We did some. We connect with Autism Speaks, who does an unbelievable job, and the blue puzzle piece pin is. Mm -hmm. the most recognizable symbol in the world that represents autism. Right. So I, we did a walk with them. I had got a pin. I started wearing that on the lapel. Uh, and then we had like a game here on campus. We had about eight different organizations come out. And I found her in there. Everyone would ask me like, what's the pin? You know, yeah. Coaches, score people. So you start filling people in. And after the season, my wife and I got together with Tom Harry and his wife, Leslie. They, they're good friends. I'd worked for Tom at Charleston. At the time, he was the head coach at Marshall University. He's mm -hmm. now at South Florida. And they have a son, Robert Spectrum. We started brainstorming. How do we, you know, what can we do with this? We just came up with this idea like, hey, how many, on a Saturday in February, now it's the whole weekend, how many college basketball games are on national TV? And 
I'm not sad there was like 31, believe it or not, now over the weekend, it's probably like 50, 60. Yeah. So we had called Autism Speaks the first year and just asked them, hey, could we get some pins? And we actually bought them, Tom and I, because they didn't oh, really right. know what, what we were trying to do. Yeah. We, we just bought them and sent them out uh, to all the different schools and oh, cool. got them to wear. It was the first year, Duke and Syracuse, National TV, game day, you know. So it was great. And since then, Autism Speaks has been unbelievable. They've kind of ran with it. Um, all of the staffs at South Florida and Towson do a great job helping. And then we have a program, kind of in conjunction, the NABC's helped with the database called Coaches Powering Forward for Autism. And we'll have 400 plus schools participating wearing the pins. And then obviously we, we try to get all the guys that, even if they do forget to register, and we don't mm -hmm. want you to forget to register, <laughs> to get them to wear the pin for the TV game. So it, it, yeah, you know, some funds are raised for Autism Speaks because I'm sure people Google the puzzle piece and right. they need funds and they do a great job. But then it's a big thing, it's awareness. And I'm so proud at our university. Well, it's such an inclusive event. We'll have about 16, 18 different organizations here and it's usually a sellout crowd. And it's just, a, it's, a, it's a really cool experience. Yeah, that's the thing, you do a lot of things revolving around the team. In the past, and I don't know what you're doing specifically, but in the past I've seen practices with with autism, uh, children with autism, or, or even older adults with autism, I've seen the game, as you pointed out. There's, I, I think, a special room for those who want to get away, maybe from the yep. loud noises, but at the same time, they're involved. The game, you guys wore blue jerseys. You had to coordinate. You have to coordinate with the the other team because they got to wear their whites, right? Yeah, every school's been great with that. Whether it's William Mary, Elon, James Madison, Drexel. This year it'll be Northeastern. They'll I'll put Bill on the spot. He's a D three guy. He'll be great. <laughs> yeah. Under Armour's been awesome. They make us special blue uniforms and and sneakers. Uh, we're, we're really you know they're they're an awesome partner. Um, and then we do have a sensory friendly room. Uh, some gluten free, dairy free menus on our at our refreshments, wow. concession stands, and, and it's a, like I said, it's an inclusive event. So it's a good time. We'll do a clinic that week with the Husband Center we have on campus, which is a center for adults with autism. And then we have a big workshop. Um, mm -hmm. There's a guy coming in, Anthony Iani, who was, a, was an autistic basketball player at Michigan State when wow. Draymond Green was there. He does yeah. some uh, autism, anti-bullying messages now. He works for the government out in, um, out in Michigan. So he's coming in to speak. It's going to be a through our academic side, uh, Dr. Escow on campus, our women's basketball coach, Diane Richardson, and our women's volleyball coach, Don Metal, also have children that are on the spectrum. So we're gonna have a little panel. And you know, I think it's a good uh, awareness event in conjunction with uh, you know, collaborating with our academic side on campus. I've done a few walks on this campus regarding autism and stuff. And, and, and the community in the Baltimore area, if no one's familiar, is extremely tight, um, led by a, a, a Hall of Famer, I think, for the Baltimore Orioles, not overall Hall of Famer for the team, B.J. Surhoff, who has a son with autism. There's a real tight group here. How much has the community responded to what you're trying to do? Because I also want to worry, is there ever a feel like there's too much going on, or is there never enough going on? I don't think there's ever enough going on. The Surhoffs are rock stars. The Pathfinders is their organization. Right. They'll be here at the game. Um, Pathfinders, the Surhoffs, it's, it's, it's really... They were actually, I think, at one of our last games, they're good friends with Joe Wolf, who's assistant oh, okay. at North Carolina Wilmington, a great Carolina <laughs> player. So I hope they're rooting the for us. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 a, it's a good weekend, and, and what they do is is off the charts as far as for people in 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 Maryland. So if anybody wants to come to the game or come to the workshop, if any of that, is it available and how do they go about that? Yeah, go on to TowsonTigers.com. There's links for both the game and and, and for the workshop and. Yeah, we'd love to have you there. We want what if, both to be crowded. What if a coach is listening in, or an assistant coach, or even players, and want to have their coach get involved? 
How do they get involved maybe with the, it's February 9th through 11th, yep. if memory serves. The, you get on the NABC website, there's links for it. And then if you went to Autism Speaks as well, there's uh, links for you know, coaches powering forward for autism. What is it about coaches that want to do this, like kind of give back to the community to some degree? Is, is, it, is it inherent in just the way it is coaching? Or is it one of those things that developed with coaches and now other coaches encourage coaches? Yeah, I, I, probably both. I, I think like you look at athletic departments. I mean, I know here at Towson, we have an unbelievable uh, philosophy of you know, community service. Um, you know, our sports information department, our director of operations, uh, much like at a lot of other schools, they kind of get the thing going, making sure everybody has the pins and wears them. But I think coaches will, you know, coaches will pretty much do what you ask them to do and, and they'll <laughs> rally around that. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I find it interesting here with the Towson Tigers. Uh, there's a whole cause of Roar for Autism. Seems appropriate that you're with the Tigers group. That I see headlines with Roar in it, I, and you're in. It seems like this all came together rather nicely for you. Yeah, you know what? I, I haven't really <laughs> thought about that, but we'll take it if it's yeah, if it's cliche it and it works. We'll take it. You yeah. Any um, ideas of changing the official school co school colors to blue? No, but our <laughs> university has been outstanding in letting us. Um, you know, work with Under Armour and having some blue yeah. with some black and gold in it for that game. Our guys do really like the uniform, I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, do they? <laughs> so do recruits when they see it. They're so, pretty yeah. sweet. You, guys, are, you also auction them off. If yeah, yeah, we got new ones this year, and uh, we're going to wait to break those out. They're really cool, though. Oh, that's awesome. I, I appreciate you taking the time. But I, I can't leave without asking, when are we going to see you back in D3? They, uh, you know, how many years Coach Sheldon have left? Is oh, he, is that's he, true. He, I don't know. Is he keeping the chair warm for me? You know, <laughs> oh, there's a good idea. I'm a Medford guy, Bobby. <laughs> yeah, Coach Sheldon, hint, hint. Uh, somebody wants a job. Um, well, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know this isn't prototypical for you or for Division Three, but I appreciate you taking the time to talk about your roots a little bit and this and this great foundation. I should point out, my wife works with children with autism, and so it's something dear to my heart as well. So thank you for taking the time. Uh, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who might be tuning in? I just appreciate you having me on. Obviously, uh, a lot of the guys I have great respect for and watched as a player and starting out as a coach are up in the you know the Northeast um, and you know, to help, help lay a lot of the foundation that hopefully we try to try to instill here to have success. But the... Uh, you know, uh, I'm thrilled to be on, to be honest. You guys keep up the great work. No, oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Good luck the rest of the season, and we'll uh, try and catch up with what you're doing with the autism game as well. Thank you. And so I'll head back to me in studio. Yeah, we're back to me in studio. Thanks again to Coach uh, Scary for joining us here again, the Towson coach. Yeah, maybe a little odd to have a D1 coach, but this show is also celebrating D3 and he's got D3 roots. Great story about Tufts and how they lost out in the NCAA tournament because they didn't have the right length of the court. But did anybody catch the end there? Coach Sheldon at Tufts. Somebody's interested in taking over when you retire. Maybe? Could Pat Scary come back if Coach Sheldon steps? I'm just, just saying might might be interesting up there at Tufts. I don't see Coach Sheldon retiring anytime soon. He's got a pretty good program, but I wonder if he was listening. Um, I checked on the information from Towson as of a couple days ago. About 30, maybe a little less than, Division Three schools involved in this coming up between February 9th and 11th. It's not really a huge fundraiser. It's more about just wearing the pin. Um, I encourage as many Division Three schools to do this. Uh, again, go to Towson Tigers' website, um, and you can find information there, or contact me. I'll get you in touch with those at Towson as well. I would love to see more blue pins. It is something near and dear to our hearts in the sense that uh, wife works in the industry. Uh, our children do not. Uh, but 
Um, something I've grown to, to appreciate, and I would hope more coaches will appreciate it as well. When we come back, we're a little delayed on getting the happy hour started. When we come back, we'll talk to Ken Anderson, former Augustana basketball and football star. We'll talk about how it almost didn't happen in football, and yet we're talking about an NFL star who should probably be in the Hall of Fame. And you know how everyone's talking about um, Brady being one of the best quarterbacks of all time? Ken Henderson has an interesting answer to that. But more importantly, why does he love Division Three as much as he does? Well, you got to hear his answers. I had a wonderful conversation with him. Look forward to it. You should hear it too. Ken Anderson coming up next. You're listening to the Hoopsville Marathon from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More after this. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum. It's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment, the game winning shot that gets you to the dance, a monster dunk or no-look pass, and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Uh, happy hour will be starting shortly. Thought we'd be starting it right about now, but it'll be about, oh, probably about 30, 20 minutes away. About 9.30, we'll open up the happy hour, which means we'll probably go a little in past 10 o'clock, but looking forward, nonetheless, to getting to it. Um, all right, so every once in a while, as you've noticed in the last little bit here on the show, we've talked to those who have have some type of Division Three connection. This one's a little bit different. You may know Bill Finney. If you don't, you should. One of the best women's coaches in the game, coached at Marymount, a huge advocate for Division Three. was also athletics director at Marymount for a long time. I certainly got to know him 
when he was a head coach, but more importantly, uh, since he's been head coach, since he's retired. I know he tunes into the show. Hey, Bill. How are you, sir? Uh, and when he's not on the golf course. Um, he got this idea, and it is one of the best ideas we've had on the show. He got us in touch with Ken Anderson, former Cincinnati Bengals quarterback. You may be wondering, uh, what? Why? 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 Well, you may not know his background. He was an Augustana graduate. He played at Augustana, played basketball and football for the Vikings, slightly before Division Three. Okay, so some of you who know me are probably going, wait, Dave, but Dave, you're now over two, football and not Division Three. He is a huge advocate for Division Three. We talked about a lot in a conversation we had just yesterday before he took off from Minnesota, where he is a, currently in Minneapolis for the uh, Super Bowl. We talked to him about how he got to Augustana. We talked about how he ended up playing football when that wasn't originally the plan. We'll show you a letter he sent about getting on the football team, talk to you how Milliken plays a role in all this, and really why he's become an advocate for Division Three and why he, he finds the division so uh, important, I guess is a better way. His words are better than mine. Again, we talked earlier this week. It is Ken Anderson from the former Bengals quarterback and Augustana Hall of Famer joined me earlier this week. Now joining us on the City of Salem, Hoopsville Hotline. It is the former NFL quarterback, Ken Anderson. Yes, we're talking to a quarterback on the Hoopsville Marathon. Sir, thanks for taking the time to join us. It's my pleasure. Well, thank you. Um, we, we say quarterback, and if anybody knows your history, you played with the Cincinnati Bengals, and I would argue maybe led them to where Boomer Esiason eventually would lead them. Uh, Boomer ended up, uh, you ended up being replaced by Boomer, but we don't need to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> you attended Augustana College in Rock Island uh, just before they became Division Three, along with most of the CCIW, if not all. And everything I've been told is you're, you're still a huge fan of Augustana, and a huge fan of Division Three, despite the fact you technically didn't play Division Three. Well, you know, as you go on, it you always classified as uh, you know I was a Division Three player, and you know originally went to Augustana to play basketball. We had a uh, I went to Batavia High School in Batavia, Illinois, about forty miles west of Chicago, and we had a a great coach in Don Vandersnick, and you know we were at the the, the small school level, but we had a big time player in Dan Issel. Uh, who went uh, on to become an All-American at the University of Kentucky and an NBA Hall of Famer. So we had uh, had a pretty good program, and, and uh, we had good quality of coaching, and, and so I thought I was a, a pretty good basketball player. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. You and I were talking earlier. Football wasn't necessarily where you were focused. You, you liked other sports, both starting with Bs, basketball and baseball. That was kind of your push. Well, you know, I thought th those were my, my two best sports. Um, you know, we didn't have a, a, a great high school football team. We didn't throw the football a lot. I've been scouted uh, a little bit. I, I might have been able to go to some other schools the size of Augustana, nothing bigger. Um, you know, and we had a lot of kids from our town at Augustana, and it had a great academic reputation. And uh, so I ended up there. And, you know, uh, that summer before I, I enrolled, my high school football coach said, you know, you ought to try out for football. And so I think that the date of the letter is June 27th that I wrote Coach Storenko to see if I could try out for the football team. And, <laughs> you know, in those days at small schools, they take warm bodies. So he welcomed oh, yeah. me. I would argue they still do, but uh, not all <laughs> of them necessarily, but especially in football with the, the size of rosters. Yeah, that's the crazy thing is, is, is you had looked at other schools. You had mentioned Milliken to me, uh, talked about playing in other sports. Maybe you were interested in football, but really weren't taking it seriously. 
this coming from a man who ended up going on to be a, a draft pick in the NFL, going on to play for Cincinnati a number of years and 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 handing the reins off to, as I said, Boomer Esiason and, and having a long storied career both as a coach and player in the NFL. That's just crazy that literally if it's not for a conversation in high school, you're not even con- considering something that you ended up being uh, pretty uh, good at. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, when I came out of high school, you know, Mike Grossberg didn't hit for a couple of years. So I was, uh, I think my driver's license said I was, when I was 16, I was 5'5", 155. And I think I might have graduated, you know, at high school, maybe 6'1", and 170. And, you know, that's really not the size that you think of to, to play big-time football. And, you know, uh, I, I, I grew in college, and I don't know if it had anything to do with when I discovered beer. But, uh, you know, I ended up... Uh, you know, six two, two fifteen, and that was about uh, the size of all the NFL quarterbacks in those days. Yeah, true. Uh, you ended up playing basketball and football at Augustana. Did you even play baseball? Uh, you know, I did not. Um, I went out for football, and uh, by the they put me in uh, the second game of the year uh, out at Sioux Falls, uh, Augustana, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, I went in to, to start the second quarter, and I became the starting quarterback and played the rest of the season. And then I went, uh, Coach Armin Pipo was our, our basketball coach, and now I'm a month late for basketball, and I didn't even get a real practice uniform, but I was playing on the freshman team. I got, you know, I played a little bit on the varsity, and by Christmas, uh, I was one of the starting guards on the varsity. And so after going, you know, back-to-back seasons, uh, the baseball coach called and said, we're hitting down the bus barns, and I was a little bit worn out at that time, and I said, you know, I need to work on my grade point average for a while. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling very well, by the way. Uh, I, I made that same decision myself <laughs> in my college career, uh, or the school made it for me. It depends on which version you want to listen to. Um, well, you, basketball, you were obviously successful in football. Well, we'll talk about football a little bit again in a moment, but I don't want to leave Augustana here. You're now part of the of the Viking Hall of Fame there. Uh, and, and I went through and looked at the stats. You're still uh, in the top 25 in total points. You're top 10 in average points in, in the program's basketball program's history. Uh, top 18 in field goals made. Top 25 in field goals attempted. Free throws made, same thing, along with attempted. Uh, your free throw percentage is 41st, though it's 75.5%. That's, that just tells you Augustana has some really good free throw shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're still synonymous with, with what was really good you know, basketball to some degree at Augustana, and they've they kind of ebbed and flowed. Right after you guys, I think they made uh, right after you were there, they made some tremendous runs into the Division Three tournament themselves. But you're, you're still synonymous with the record book there all these years later. Well, and I, and I tell some of the players, you know, and that was without playing my senior year and without a three point line, which is incredible. So, so in fact, I had one of the, the great experiences I had. Uh, Augustana has a great coach out there, now great Giovanni. Oh, yeah. He's done a wonderful job. And, and uh, gosh, I think it was three years ago, they got to the Final Four in Salem, Virginia. Yes. and uh, They got and there I, last I, year, I, too. I, yes, and, and I couldn't make it. Unfortunately, my wife was not going to let me skip out of this wedding of her one of her best <laughs> friends. So, uh, Priorities. I I tried, but, but, you know, I, I, I went the, the, the year before, and uh, he said, you get here, we got a, we got a room for you. So, uh and, uh, you know, he let me be a part of all the practice sessions, all the film sessions, all the meals, riding on the buses and, wow. uh, you know, getting to talk to the team. And so that was just, uh, you know, a great experience. And then I, I went back uh, in the fall uh, and, and spoke to they had another good recruiting class. And, 
you know, and uh, they, they, they gave me one of the final four rings. They said, you were part of our team. And, you know, oh, so cool. that was, that, that made me cry, but, you know, and I, I told him, I said, you know, you know, what a great year you had and you weren't expected to get there. And now expectations are high, but I said, you know, you know, I went to a Super Bowl. I happened to lose that game. I said, we all thought we'd be back again. And I never made it back. Every mm-hmm. season's a new season. And, you know, they had uh, a little downturn that year, but uh, they got right back to it last year. Yeah, they're always there when we're not expecting them to be there. Yeah, <laughs> they're never there when we're expecting them to be there. Uh, Gray and I used to joke they never could get out of Rock Island, but uh, he has proven that. Uh, actually, the year you were there, we joked about that at the uh, at the banquet. Um, certainly synonymous with basketball. You've been an advocate for Division Three. We'll we'll touch on that again. I want to quickly go back to football, though. Uh, you were drafted. You played for Cincinnati. You and I were talking though. Your your childhood team though didn't even remember you were around. Uh, what happened with the Bears? Well, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, we, there was a, a great broadcaster, you know, both radio and television in Chicago. A guy named Jack Brickhouse. Yeah. He did the Cubs yeah. games, the Bears games, and his daughter was in my class, and uh, he would come out to the homecoming game my freshman year. And he'd go back and he'd tell George Alice, he said, I, you know, I may not know what I'm looking at, but there's a kid out there who's a pretty good quarterback at Augustana. And then he would go back after my sophomore year, after my junior year, give him kind of the same report after my senior year. So uh, finally, uh, the Bears called for tickets. But in those days, we only played nine games, and our season was over by the time that they called. <laughs> Great timing, Alice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, you told me earlier that you didn't play your final senior year in, in basketball for an interesting twist. Yeah, you know, at that time, uh, you know, the Vietnam War was going on, and when we had a there was a lottery to determine your draft status, and I had a very low lottery number, and and was was going to get drafted into the army and and uh, all the professional sports teams at that time they were really clamping down and they were getting those special favors to get their players uh you know in the reserve or national guard unit so i actually uh they said get in on your own if you can and so i i, I got in a national guard unit in Joliet, illinois but during the football season my my senior year and so uh, i was supposed to go uh, on active duty uh, before Christmas, and so I dropped out of school after the fall quarter. Uh, did not get uh, get taken uh, for active duty at that time. And the NFL draft was in January, so I moved down uh, to Cincinnati in February. Started uh, to work with Bill Walsh, but you know that was the time that uh, that Augustana also had a couple of real big players. I mean, seven foot six eleven guys that uh, happened to choose Augustana for a variety of reasons. And you know, the year I didn't play. Uh, they went out to the, the final four for NAI in, in Kansas City. We should point out the Bengals on their website uh, just the other day, on January 28th, did a, did a This Day in Bengals history, and it is about drafting you in the third round, 67th pick. It happened on January 28th, 1971. Um, so interesting timing, to say the least, with us. We were talking about this before I knew that article existed. Um, and it said, even though the day after Anderson gets to Cincinnati, he's greeted with the headline, Unknown Bengal Award. Uh, the team blanketed the Midwest to scout his games the previous season. It, it was an interesting scenario. You talked about the fact that they happened to find you, but the Bears did not. I got to know the um, the a lot of the Baltimore Colts from the old days in this Baltimore area pretty well in my previous life as a, as a sports producer. Uh, and loved their stories and loved what they talked about. But they also point out that they football was a second job or not the only job, I should say. They had other jobs. We've got an incredible barbecue place around the corner from Andy Nelson, who was a former Colt. 
Um, you know, Johnny Unitas had another job, and Art Donovan had another job. Had the game was a game and still that uh, way of life where you had other work too, or had the game progressed to that was your only job and you were paid enough to make it your only job? No, no. My first contract was for eighteen thousand wow. dollars. So the whole team went. When the season ended, uh, you know, you went and got a job. I, I know my my first season, I finally went and got my, my six-month active duty, uh, got my basic training done down to Fort Polk, Louisiana for the Army Reserve. And then the next year, I went back to Augustana and finished up my last two quarters and got my teaching degree. And uh, then I got a real estate license in Cincinnati, and I went to law school in Cincinnati and wow. got involved in some business interests. So, no, in my whole career... Uh, I never had an off season that I didn't work. That's amazing to consider nowadays. Eighteen thousand dollars isn't even a game paycheck. That's small for a lot of these guys. Yeah. Well, one one story about Baltimore when I was drafted. Of course, in those days it was the Baltimore Colts, and yep. I believe Carol Rosenblum was the owner. And uh, you know, of course, the the draft wasn't what it was today. It's a <laughs> lot of it on the phone, and yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, it comes across that the Bengals had drafted me in the third round from Augustana, and Carol Rosenblum threw a fit because they didn't know who I was. <laughs> the, the Bengals could take him in the third round. Why don't we know who this guy is? Well, I can understand that. Different times back then. Nowadays, yeah. uh, that that would be unheard of, uh, even if it was a Division three guy. And there's a number of Division three guys in, in pro football now. Um, and doing well, you know, we can talk about the Cecil shorts, the thirds and, and, uh, the Pierre Garcons and, and certainly of, of division three, heck the backup quarterback at, at, um, at green Bay is a division three grad from Wesley. So it's, it, it has certainly been where division three has moved on. We should point out you had a storied career at Cincinnati. Uh, as I kind of jokingly snidely said something earlier, you, know, you handed the reins to Boomer Esiason, whether you wanted to or not. You certainly led the Bengals to to a tremendous amount of success. What what was it? What was that like in terms of looking back at it now, all these years later? Well, you know, it was it, it was very exciting. You know, when you think back to the number of teammates that I had and. You know, in the early days, it was guys like Bob Johnson and Bob Trumpy and Mike Reed, who were great college players as well. And then, you know, at the end, it was the guys like, you know, Chris Collinsworth and Anthony Munoz. Yeah. So, you know, remembering those and staying in touch with those guys uh, has always been fun. And then the you know, thing that I'm the thing that I'm most proud of is that, uh, you know, the, to be able to take the, the Bengals to their first Super Bowl. You know, we you know, we didn't play good enough. We got beat by San Francisco in Super Bowl 16, but... Yeah. You know, to kind of really, you know, put Cincinnati on the map for a small market team was, uh, you know, I felt very good about. It's crazy how small market no longer an, 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 a title in the NFL where we still use it quite a bit in baseball. Um, you then went on. It was interesting. I was reading that Cincinnati never retired your number, but they basically put it in the closet for no one to use, though I think they had their uh, their heads twisted up a little bit when you signed on with the, with the uh, Pittsburgh uh, Steelers to be an assistant coach. They said they took it out of the closet, but no one wore it until Andy Dalton. And from what I read from the story, he asked you permission. Yeah, well, not him personally, but the the, the coaching staff called me and and wanted to know if that would be okay if if, if he wore my number. And you know, it, it kind of puts you in a hard spot. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah, um, exactly. And, and no. so I, I said, well, <laughs> I said, tell Andy that uh, that he can have my number, but he better play pretty well, and and he has. <laughs> he has. And uh, you know, I've gotten to know Andy over the years, and and the reason that he wore number fourteen 
is because his father had worn number uh, 14. And I said, that's, that's a good enough reason for me. And like I say, the, the, their uniforms today are a little, uh, well, more flamboyant than the one I, I wore. Yes. So I said, well, it's, it's not my jersey anyway. Maybe the same number, but it's not my jersey. We'll go on with life. Yeah, I understand entirely. Um, anybody who knows me or any of my Ravens friends will probably spin in their heels knowing you were on the Steelers and you won a Super Bowl with them as, as a staff member. But we'll skip past that. Um, well, I mean, it happened to be both of them in the AFC Championship that game. Not that I remember. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, not you. No. Wouldn't remember a thing, right? No. Um Curious, you're not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're not in the College Hall of Fame, necessarily. You are in the Augustana Hall of Fame. It's an interesting honor for Cincinnati to hold on to your 14 the way they did, even though you know sometimes people think that's synonymously done for somebody who is a Hall of Famer, if that makes any sense. Well, you know, yeah, and, and, and like I say, it's, uh, the Bengals, they, they, there's only one number that they've retired, and that was their first draft choice in Bob Johnson, yeah. uh, number 54. And, and uh, you know, that's just not something that they do, that they don't have a ring of honor, they don't have statues out in front of their stadium, which is okay. They're, uh, they're old school to a certain extent. That uh, I think they're probably the only stadium in the league that doesn't have naming rights. Our stadium is yeah. Paul Brown Stadium. It, it's a football stadium. It's not a corporate stadium. Yeah. Um, and I and I really respect the job that they've done there, and they've they've treated me great. And you know, every time I'm in town, uh, you know, I go up, and the first thing I do is I'm up in Mike Brown's office, and we have a great thirty minute conversation about a lot of different topics. And and then I'll go down to the coach's office, and Marvin Lewis has always been great to me. So it, it, it's still a great relationship I have with the team. That's wonderful to hear. I don't I'd almost say you're the Johnny Unitas of Cincinnati, and I say that as a Baltimore guy because Johnny Unitas has been the has been the the mark, as it were, here in Baltimore, no matter who the QB is. Um, and it sounds like your relationship with Dalton was very much like uh, Johnny's relationship with a lot of quarterbacks, but especially Kyle Redmond uh, here in Baltimore. Um, well, one, one, one of the great thrills for me is to getting to know Johnny Unitas. Uh, uh, you know, at the beginning of my career, of course, he was at the end, and uh, and I actually played against him, and it was his last year when he was out in, in San, San Diego, Diego, the yeah. one year he played with the Chargers. And then uh, the other thrill was getting to have a, a good relationship with Otto Graham. Oh, wow. Who, uh, who I consider, you know, they said, well, who's the greatest quarterback of all time? And I said, well, it, it's easy. It's Otto Graham. You know, he, mm. he played 10 years. He went to the last game of the year all 10 times and won seven. Nobody's better than that. That's a, Yeah, they didn't have the Super Bowl then. That's a good point. Um, yeah, that's a good topic to bring up with all the Brady talk this year of uh, eight Super Bowls and possibly six titles. That's Otto Graham. Good point. Um, real quick, before we leave the NFL conversation, you're busy. Maybe when this is actually airing, as we did pre-tape this with uh, with uh, Mr. Anderson, as he's heading off to Minnesota, um, you're involved with the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. You were actually honored with that award when it was slightly different title. You're going to have a dinner on Thursday evening, and then obviously the award for this year will be given out on Saturday. So the NFL keeps you pretty involved with things. Yeah, it's fun. I've gotten to go to a few of these things, and certainly, uh, you know, to get to go to a Super Bowl and the festivities around it is is something that's exciting. Uh, you know, I think the Man of the Year Award is a special award because it recognizes not only what you do on the field but what you do off the field. Um, you know, uh, you get to bring someone with you. My wife said, you know, if it were in California or Arizona or New Orleans or Florida, this might be a great trip for us. It's in Minneapolis. It'd be a great trip for you to take your son on. So my son, Matt, is oh, going with me. 
That is awesome. He's, he's, you might remember him. There was a football card. He was I was the first player to uh, to carry their son off the field after a game, and it was after we got beat by the the Forty Niners in Super Bowl sixteen. So. That little guy's now 42. Yeah, well, that's awesome, and I can commiserate with him a little bit in the sense of the <laughs> age. Uh, we're, we're right near each other, but that is a really cool uh, story. Let's let's dive back. Um, we mentioned again, Augustana wasn't a Division three school at the time. They shortly transitioned. Uh, shortly after you left, they transitioned in, along with the CCIW. But everything I've told from from our friend and Bill Finney and, and, and what you've told me is you are still a huge advocate, though, for Division three. And I just want to hear from your point of view why that is. Well, you know, I, I think it's the, the quality of education and the quality of life that you get for four years while you're in college. That, uh, you know, most Division uh, three schools are, are like Augustana. That, you know, Augustana may be one of the bigger ones at, at 2,500 students, although you get some of the Wisconsin public schools that are bigger than that. But <laughs> most private schools are, are about that age or about that size. Um, Classes are small. The relationship that uh, I developed for four years at, at Augustana uh, were unbelievable. Um, the the sporting uh, event memories that I have, and you know, and I I tell people, what's the most exciting game you played? And I said, well, right up there, you know, with the AFC Championship game was, you know, we played North Park one year when I was a senior. We got beat forty eight forty two. Ended up on their one yard line as time expired. I said that that game was pretty doggone exciting. Um, you know, remember the, the basketball games when, you know, uh, we would, you know, uh, in those days, if we'd go, we'd have a Friday and Saturday night game. So we'd go into Chicago and, and we'd play Friday night and stay in a motel and, and put our uniforms on a, on the, the heater in the, in the hotel room. And they're a little hard the next day for a while, but we'd go out and we'd play again and then drive home on Saturday night. Hmm. So it's just, you know, those kind of, of memories and the experience and the, the quality of education, uh, I, I'm a hundred percent for it. You know, and, and you know, to stay involved with Augustana, and you know, we talked about Greg Giovanni that does a great job out there, and, and Steve Bell is a, a great football coach, and you know, Paul Olson was a, a, an institution out there mm -hmm. in track and cross country. He just retired, um, but you know, the the quality of athletes, the quality of people that they've turned out is remarkable. It, it certainly is, and Augustana is a lot like a lot of other Division three schools in that in that way as well. Um, we should point out you're you're enjoying life now. You're spending a lot of time golfing, and I don't hear any complaints from your golf partners. Uh, no, that's okay. Although right now I'm, I'm I'm nursing a little bit of a knee, and uh, uh -huh. I had one doctor look at it and he kind of laughed. He said, "Too many years on AstroTurf and too many hits." So <laughs> we're trying to figure out if this is something that has to have a knee replacement. So. Uh, our, our buddy Bill Finney is, is not taking any of my money because I'm not playing right now. <laughs> well, hey, let's make sure that you can take some of his money. How's that sound? That sounds good. We'll work on some scheme to make that work. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on this marathon show. I really do appreciate it. And, and a thrill. I could talk to you for another half hour and, and just revel in the stories, and maybe we'll find other times to get you on. Um, well, I'm going to I'm going to count on that because, you know, like I say, Division three athletics and, and Division three colleges uh, hold a near and dear place in, in my heart, and uh, you know I had a lot of great experiences, you know, with the Bengals and you know and coaching in the NFL. But if I had to do all over again, it would be at Augustana for four years. Yeah, I, I had a feeling uh, that unfortunately we could dwell on the Vietnam side of things, but not for this show. 
Uh, certainly, if you want to learn more about that, the Ken Burns miniseries recently was outstanding. Um, but thank you for taking the time. We have a tradition on the show. We always leave the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Well, no, like I say, uh, Augustana, they're, they're, I think they're number eight in the country right now. So I'm, I'm following them, and, and, and it's, I love the technology that we have that I can go on my my iPad, and uh, when they're playing a game, I can stream it and, and get a chance to watch the game. So I, I still get to follow them closely. And this is the last year I think they're going to be in Salem, Virginia. Yep. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I, I, I got a little call into Gray that uh, get me a room. I'd I really like to see you guys there. <laughs> yeah, it would be neat. Last year in Salem, we don't know for how long, but – uh, by the way, they're nine, just to, to officially put it on there, but that's oh, okay. Oh, I understand you're bumping them up. I get that it. That was after after the loss to Carthage. They must have dropped it. Yeah, dropped they dropped the from uh, they dropped uh, a little bit, but nonetheless, they're in the conversation as it were, as is a lot of the CCIW. Again, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. Well, I have a feeling we'll talk again in the future. And in the meantime, safe travels and enjoy the Super Bowl. Well, thank you very much. I play, it'll be a fun trip with my son. And like I say, I'm counting on it. You have my phone number I do. now, and, and, and I have yours. So yes. if you don't call me, I know how to get a hold of you. Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. Take care, and we'll talk soon. Thanks much. Ken Anderson joining us here on the City of, Su- uh, City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline. Once again, thanks to, Co- uh, to Ken Anderson for joining me. So a little different. You may not have realized where that was going. How about those stories? Uh, he is currently celebrating with uh, former Man of the Year awardees um, at dinner in Minneapolis. And they will celebrate the new winner coming up on Saturday. I have a feeling uh, J.J. Um, will win that, J.J. Watt. Well, they're great finalists nonetheless. But uh, thank you, Ken Anderson. And a heartfelt thank you, thank you to Bill Finney, who I know watches this show who knows if he's going to watch all 12 hours today, but I know he watches this show. I really appreciate him thinking of us. He he actually talks with me quite a bit. We have wonderful conversations, but that story, uh, that idea to have Ken on the show, outstanding. So thank you, um, Bill. I really appreciate it. We're going to take a break, and we're going to go happy hour. We're a little late on that, but believe it or not, I thought we'd be later. Um, I, I think James Wagner is going to join us. Ryan Scott should be online. I think we got a couple other people who might jump in. We'll just talk D3, and we'll answer your questions. It's a free-for-all. It's for fun. This is what we do to wrap up the marathon. We are closing out hour number 12. We'll probably go a little into overtime. Join us, will you? You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA NABC studios. Let's finish off the marathon in style and strong. Coming up next.